It's been 30 years since I sang in a choir. All that time I've been trying to figure out how to do it, and Sunday morning I just figured it out. You just have to walk from here to there and then back again. Sometimes celebration is related to accomplishment or achievement, a celebration of some kind of success. I went to the Academic Excellence Awards the week before last where students in grades 4 through 12 in Manchester Community Schools are recognized and honored for academic achievement. Each student is named, and then also their their answers to questions like, what is your favorite memory of the year, and what are your goals, are read as they walk across the stage to receive a certificate and a small gift. And people applaud each student individually. As I said, they each get a gift. This year, 10th graders, my daughter's class, who achieved academic excellence, each got a keychain with their name imprinted on it. Over the years, I've been to many of those ceremonies and watched children march across the stage, handed blankets or backpacks or towels or hoodies or pens or this year keychains to mark their triumph. At my house, numerous certificates have piled up in a drawer somewhere year by year. As far as celebrations are concerned, it's not all that creative or emotional or even exciting, but I can see the rationale of such recognition. It sends a message that promotes the goals and intentions of school, of our educational system. If you work hard, your achievement, your diligence will be applauded. Get good grades and we will think well of you. And indeed, the children who earn academic excellence are touted as hard workers, diligent, responsible. And the suggestion is that everyone could achieve such an accomplishment if only they worked hard enough. The only thing holding you back from achievement is yourself. Over many years now, as I've watched my children walk across the stage, each time I've also taken note of the kids from our church who earn academic excellence, as well as the kids that I coach, and so on. But then sometimes I also think about the children who aren't there, who aren't on the list. Some of them I know. I also know that some of those children are also smart, and they are quite capable. What holds them back? Is it disinterest or something else that feels more important and captures more of their attention? Some struggle in their personal life or a lack of stability or support at home, a lack of connection with their teachers? I always did well in school. I got good grades, but I never felt particularly excited or moved by getting good grades. And even though I never got a backpack or a blanket or a keychain, Sometimes it all just felt like a grand manipulation. I was supposed to want to achieve, to want to be recognized, celebrated, but the truth was that I would have been happy to learn just because I liked learning. Why did good grades have to hang over our heads? To motivate us? To drive us toward comparison and competition? Sometimes celebration is about accomplishment, the triumph of accomplishment. Although the triumph is sedate, the applause is polite, and the celebration is as exciting as a keychain. Sometimes celebration and its expression of triumph is more intense, especially if it's combined with a surge of relief. 
Sometimes something large is at stake, and that makes it take on a more intense feeling, a more obvious contrast between the winners and the losers. And in the midst of the celebration, there are shouts of joy for the winners and tears of disappointment for the losers. On Monday night of this past week, I settled in to watch the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship, North Carolina versus Kansas. And Kansas got out to a quick start, but pretty soon their efforts sputtered and North Carolina was dominating the game. North Carolina couldn't do anything wrong and Kansas couldn't do anything right. By halftime, North Carolina was ahead by 15 points, 40 to 25. And I thought to myself that Kansas had been so awful And North Carolina had been so good that there was no point in watching the rest of the game. So I headed upstairs to do some reading I needed to do, and I went to bed. In the morning, I did a quick search on my phone to find out how badly North Carolina had beaten Kansas. And you know what? It turned out that while I was reading and then sleeping, Kansas had made the biggest comeback in the history of the men's NCAA basketball final to win the game 72-69, to 69, an 18-point swing. And I don't know if you care or know much about basketball, but Kansas had to be supremely relieved to win the game. Not just because it was so unlikely that they would after their awful first half and the fact that no team has ever come back from such a deficit, but because time and time again, if you followed Kansas basketball, time and time again, they have been ranked highly and they have nearly every time failed to deliver. So for Kansas, when the clock ran out and they were victorious, there was celebration and triumph, but rooted, I think, in relief as much as anything. Sometimes celebration is an expression of triumph combined with relief. And then sometimes celebration is an expression of triumph layered with relief, but still mixed with anger or anxiety. This is true when we're not talking about a game, but about real life. I've read the news and looked at the horrific and brutal pictures coming across the news this past week from Ukraine, and especially from villages at the edge of the city of Kiev, as the Ukrainians have pushed back the Russian military only to reveal the devastation of mass graves of civilians bound and executed. Ukrainians are investigating 4,500 alleged Russian war crimes, mostly involving the intentional killing of civilians. But even so, immediately there were moments of celebration as formerly occupied towns were liberated. I saw one picture of people coming out onto the street in their neighborhood, of sharing food with neighbors cooking in the street. In another picture, Ukrainian soldiers played a pickup game of soccer on a street littered with debris. And in another picture, there was an elderly woman laughing and smiling as she embraced a young soldier who had delivered food and other aid to her village. At the same time, President Zelensky warned his country that the Russians are likely regrouping, not truly retreating. We have many battles ahead, he said, so I don't recommend that anyone relax. The situation is not that joyful as we would all want. Sometimes celebration is an expression of triumph, but layered with relief as well as anger and anxiety. Celebration as an expression of victory, even temporary victory over your enemies. Now you'll notice that all those examples I just offered have within them winners and losers. 
us and them, triumph and heartbreak. Because often in order for celebration to spring forth from triumph, someone has to go down in defeat. So celebration much of the time means someone's trajectory is upward while someone else's is downward. And the celebrants are limited to those whose movement is upward, even if only for a moment, but certainly at the end. On the other hand, sometimes celebration is not about triumph, achievement, counting yourself among the winners over and against the losers, but sometimes celebration can simply be about our core self-understandings, our connections with others, and our gratitude for our place in the world. Do you know what I mean? It's celebrating simply because you know who and whose you are and how you are connected, and why you belong, and who is walking with you in this world. Those celebrations are the best kind, I think. I've been referencing Robin Wall Kimmerer's book, Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants from time to time in my sermons in recent weeks. It's the book that I'm reading with the men's study group here at church. In a chapter we read recently titled Sitting in a Circle, the author talked about taking students on a five-week immersion experience into the natural world. She does this because as part of their scientific education, as future botanists, she wants them to stop thinking about technology and start thinking about nature, to stop seeing themselves as consumers and to start thinking of themselves as people who commune with the natural world. She wants to teach them things about all the natural resources around them and how to not only use those things appropriately and creatively, but to respect the resources to give thanks for them and to celebrate them. The primary example she offered in the chapter was information about cattails. She taught her students that part of the cattail stalk can be consumed for food, that the seeds that show themselves in a plume of fluff can be harvested and stuffed into sacks like cotton batting for bedding, that the stalks with their matted fuzz can be dipped in fat to make a serviceable torch and that the stalks can also be woven together to make mats which might become the walls or the floor of a shelter, and so on. This one example, this one plant, becomes the launching point for a whole array of learning about the generous gifts of nature, but it's not the only example she offers during the weeks they spend learning outdoors. The student do other, students do other things during those weeks, too. They explore marshes, they dig roots, They eat the harvest of nature. And all of this experience and learning that they have leads to reflection. What have I received? And what do I need to give back? And this reflection and the questions it prompts leads to gratitude. And this gratitude leads to celebration. Kimmerer tells about the outcome this way. 
On the last night of the course, we decided to sleep in the wigwam we have made. Hauling our sleeping bags down the trail at dusk and laughing around the fire till late, Claudia says, I'm sad to leave here tomorrow. I'm going to miss feeling so connected to the land when I'm not sleeping on cattails. Then when the students start to leave the fire circle with their flashlights in twos and threes to whisper, I sense a conspiracy. Before I know it, they are lined up with makeshift song sheets like a choir in the firelight. We have a little something for you, they say and start a marvelous anthem of their own creation, filled with crazy rhymes of spruce roots and hiking boots, human needs and marshy reeds, cattail torches on our porches. The song crescendos to a rousing chorus of, no matter where I roam, when I'm with the plants, I'll be at home. I can't imagine a more perfect gift, she writes. With all of us packed into the wigwam like down caterpillars, the slow slide to sleep is punctuated by laughs and last scraps of conversation. As we eventually drift off, I feel us all held beneath the dome of our bark roof, an echo of the starry dome above. The quiet settles in until all I can hear is their breathing and the whisper of the cattail walls. The next morning, when the sun pours in the eastern door, Natalie wakes first, tiptoes over the others, and steps outside. Through the slits in the cattails, I watch as she raises her arms and speaks her thanks for the new day. Sometimes celebration is about the core of our self-understanding, our connection with others, and our gratitude for our place in the world. Those celebrations are the best. Nobody has to lose in order for us to win. Nobody has to be them in order for us to be us. When the people in this morning's scripture gather to celebrate Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, it has the uneasy feel of triumph rather than the core of connection. And so it's easy for us to feel that somehow their celebration is untrustworthy, fickle, or even false. After all, we know the crowds will turn in the next days from cheers to jeers, from Hosanna, blessed is the king, to crucify him. So it's hard to trust the goodness and graciousness of this triumphal celebration, which seems to only last a short while before it turns to bitterness and division. But I don't think the celebration in the streets of Jerusalem is false. I just think it doesn't have the right kind of foundation, the right kind of orientation in order to be sustainable. Triumph never lasts. One shining moment. Okay. And then what? The celebrations of Palm Sunday feel more like the celebration of triumph over others, of relief at having survived a hard-fought contest, or relief mixed with anger and anxiety. They feel more like those things than they feel like the celebration of gratitude for our place in the world and our connections with others. The celebration of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is more like something that arises out of winning a championship than something that arises out of communing with nature. 
feels more like the celebration when the enemy has been driven back down the road of wreckage than the celebration that gives voice to an anthem of rhyme and rhythm in praise of the gifts of cattails and spruce roots. So the celebration of palms and cloaks isn't false. It just isn't laid on a foundation of gratitude for the goodness and trustworthiness of life. You know the difference, right? One kind of celebration has at its base the hope that my side will triumph. And the other has at its base the hope that all will be well. Some celebrations need winners over losers. Other celebrations would have cattail mats for everyone to sleep on, packed together with barely enough room to move. But it's okay in those times because no movement is necessary when we're all happily packed together. If I might mix my stories together, and I've already done that, but if I might do it one more time, I would say that Jesus wanted cattail mats for everyone. Those cloaks on the colt and those cloaks on the road in the scripture story meant little to him, I think. It's not his own triumph he was seeking. He would rather have had those cloaks on the shoulders of those who shiver cloaks on the bodies of the naked and the prisoner. Now, it is true that in the scripture, he does not stop the disciples, the crowds from crying out, from shouting their praises. He says, if these ones were silent, the stones would shout out. But I don't think he's leading a cheer for himself. I don't think there's anything about Jesus that is self-promoting. And I think that every celebration that is in the spirit of Jesus is never celebration for the sake of competition. It is always celebration for the sake of community building. So Jesus as cause for celebration, the people certainly thought so. Maybe some thought this celebration would be the beginning of the overthrow of the Romans or the beginning of a new kind of religious fervor and commitment or an opportunity to align themselves with someone who would finally challenge the status quo. Maybe they thought they were celebrating the chance to be on the winning team. But what Jesus was offering and offers still isn't a championship or a victory over the enemy or even a special recognition of our achievements. The celebration that Jesus invites us to is a celebration of community, of connection, of cloaks laid down not just for him, but laid down for those who have never been honored. Cloaks as comforters, as coats for the naked, the needy, the shivering. If we're going to celebrate something, if we're going to lay down our cloaks for something, let's lay down our cloaks for compassion. Let's celebrate connection. Let's celebrate community. Let's celebrate cattails and all the gifts of creation. Let's celebrate people who learn something about gratitude after five weeks in nature and then make up songs to sing their praises and who tiptoe carefully over their still sleeping friends to greet the morning with raised arms and words of thanks. 
So yes, sometimes celebration is related to accomplishment or achievement. Sometimes celebration is about accomplishment mixed with an expression of relief. Sometimes celebration is about accomplishment or triumph mixed with an expression of relief and further layered over with anger and anxiety. But sometimes celebration is about embracing the core of our own self-understanding and our connections with others and simply offering our gratitude for our place in this world. And then we not only lay down our cloaks, but we lay down on our cloaks together. We lay down beneath the dome of our bark roof, an echo of the starry dome above, and the quiet settles in until all we can hear is our collective breathing and the whisper of the cattail walls. And at that moment, perhaps, we can finally find it within ourselves to celebrate not victory or achievement, but to celebrate trust and renewal and healing, and hope. For these are the true triumphs of the blessed King, the Prince of Peace, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.